Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. If you're anything like me and you're with your children and they're just about to go to someone else's house, they're going to go visit, they're going to go to a friend's house, maybe a relative, and you're not going to be present, you sit them down and have a short talk with them before they go. And the message really is quite simple. You better obey. I mean, it's not just enough that they, they need to obey at our house, but it just looks bad, doesn't it, if they, if they go to someone else's house and misbehave. And really what we're saying is, that's going to reflect poorly on mom and dad, so you better obey. Does anybody have that conversation with your children? Obey. It's even in some of our slogans that you hear from time to time. Obey your thirst. Okay, a few of you got it. Obey your thirst. Well, this morning, I don't want to talk about obeying our thirst. I want to talk about obeying our God. When God's people obey, when there is obedience among God's people, there's a demonstration of their love for Him. When God's people obey, uh, there's this validation of their relationship. They've made a claim that now they follow Jesus, that they have a relationship with Jesus, and they're following through in obedience. They're not fake, they're real, and their realness, if you will, is being demonstrated by their obedience. In one of the letters in the Bible that John writes, uh, he writes in this context to people who need to be reminded about their need to obey. I mean, he writes in very simple and very plain language, and, and he just wants to remind people who, who wear the claim of Jesus on their life, who, who, who raise their hand and say, I follow Jesus, that there's something that goes along with that. You see, it seems that there's, there's a, a group of people who are, are making claims about their life with Jesus that their life isn't cashing in on. They're raising their hand in church on Sunday and saying, I belong with Jesus, but their life during the week isn't following through. It seems like uh, on, on Sunday they, they're saying, I live for heaven, but the rest of the week maybe they're saying, I, I live for something else. And so this morning, I, I just want to look at, at John's plain language. I want to look at uh, this simple language that he uses to talk about those who belong to God. But those who belong to God are obedient. Will you turn with me, please? First uh, John, First John. First John chapter 2 this morning, if you need a pew Bible, go ahead and grab one of those. If it's a hardback, it's going to be page 855. If it's a softback version, uh, you can turn to page 1228. I'll give you a moment to find that. John gives us plain language, simple language to describe those who belong 
to God. Look, look with me, if you would. I, uh, I want you to just skip up just a couple of verses into verse 6 in chapter 1. If we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. Now drop down to verse 3 in chapter 2. We know that we... who. We know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commands, if we obey His commands. Whoever says, I know Him, but doesn't do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys His word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must live as Jesus did. I mean, he says it in very plain language, doesn't he? If you love God, if you claim to have a relationship with God, you obey God. But those who have a relationship with God, those who follow God, those who make this claim of God, they obey God's commands. And, and if you don't, then, uh, then you're a liar. It's plain. It's very simple sort of language. If you love God, you you obey. There's obedience as a part of your life. And, and this is not new. John didn't come up with this. He, uh, he didn't just wake up one morning and think about it. No, this is a long-standing piece of God's Word that those who belong to Him obey Him. If you wanted, you could go all the way back to Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy, the context is uh, there's a people uh, that God has chosen. And those people, they've had a rough time with obedience, but they've said, whatever you say, Lord, we will do. And they're having read to them a second time the law of God before they go into a land that God has promised to them. They're hearing it a second time. And just to make sure that they understand their need for obedience, God says this in chapter 6. In chapter 6, verse 3, Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it might go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength. These, uh, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And he goes on and he says, hey, you need, to, you need to give this to your kids and you need to do it when you walk along and when you walk, uh, you know, walk into your house, when you're sleeping, all the time. And, and I don't know if you caught it, but there again you have love and obedience going together. If you are someone who's claiming, I, I love Jesus, I follow Jesus, I am a Christian, John's simply saying, you obey God. You keep His commands. There's this simple peace. You will obey. And if that were not enough, in his gospel, uh, John says very, very similar things. In John chapter 14, verse 15, uh, as Jesus is, is leaving, He's preparing His disciples. He said, hey, I, I have to go. I tease my students all the time. It's called the Farewell Gospel, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. They're in John's Gospel. And I say, if you, if you, if you don't understand the Farewell Gospel, just for look, look for Julie Andrews' picture. So long, farewell. 
Okay, some of you will get that after church today. But he sings, he sings so long, and he says in these instructions that he gives to his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. If that weren't enough, in the very next chapter, in verse 10, he says, if you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. If you claim to love Jesus... If you call yourself by the name of Christian, if you say, I have a relationship with the God of the universe, you obey Him. If you love God, you obey His commands. And it seems like that the obedience is to be in every part of our life. It seems like we could probably come up with all sorts of of illustrations and scenarios where where God would have us be obedient, that this doesn't just happen on Sunday morning, but this is throughout the week, that we're to obey God by keeping His commands. I wonder, there's a husband and wife, perhaps, and they're, they're having trouble. There's conversations or the lack of conversation in their home. And both of them are they're wondering if it's just easier to give up. They're wondering, quite frankly, if it's easier to go to the courthouse steps than, than to try and to keep going. The pain and the emotional scarring hurts. And yet, both of them say, I, I follow Jesus. I have this relationship with Jesus. I I claim Jesus as Lord. And I wonder, will they obey? Because God hates divorce. I wonder if there's two students and they're dating and they happen to be out one night and they find themselves alone before mom and dad come home from something else that they had been at. And there's an opportunity there to to engage in an intimacy that that neither one of them probably should engage in. They're not married, and yet both of them say, I I belong to Jesus. I have a relationship with Him. I, I claim Him. I'm a Christian. And I wonder, will those students obey God? I wonder, you're with a group of people, it's a party, and someone decides that they're going to throw in a movie. You don't know what the movie is, you're just kind of there, but you do catch the rating just before the the opening scene, TVMA, ah, I know what that means. And you begin to wonder, I have to make a decision right in this moment. Will I obey? Will I obey? I wonder sometimes if if our obedience is God leading us in a certain direction. Maybe you have a particular skill or a, 
a gifting that God has given you. And, and there's something that has been prompting you toward an area of leadership or, or ministry in the church or outside of the church that uh, you've, been, uh, you've been in your own private time with God just, just sensing uh, from the Lord that, that you ought to serve in a certain area. Maybe it's in our community. Maybe it's in our church. Maybe it's in leadership. Maybe it's just behind the scenes. And you, you keep casting off those, those, those feelings every time you come to the Scriptures, every time perhaps that you're in this building and you think, nah, I don't want to do that. I'm too busy. My life is already full. And perhaps what it is that God is prompting you to is to get rid of something on your plate so that you can make room for something that He wants for you. But you keep thinking, I don't really want to do that. I, I, I don't want to go there. I don't want to do that thing. And I just, I just wonder, will you, will you obey? Oftentimes, people come to, uh, to church, and we don't like talking about giving or tithing. This idea that I would give God my very first of my finances. Sometimes we call it giving of our first fruits. This uh, maybe arbitrary 10%. I'm, I'm going to give this to the Lord off the top. I'm going to give Him the cream that belongs to Him. Oh, we probably all know that that's in the Bible, but we're maybe a little uncomfortable. Ah, oh, you know, God, I have, I have some things that I, I need. And, and maybe rather than trying to reorganize our life to give the first fruits, we give God the leftovers. And I just wonder, will we obey? There's this claim that we make, right? Hey, I'm a Christian, I belong to God. I have this relationship. And John says it very plainly, doesn't he? Those who belong to God will obey him. And this isn't just in one small facet of our life. It's all of our life. And have you ever noticed that uh, throughout the Bible, there's no good excuses for disobedience? It's not like you're going to find anywhere in these pages, somewhere hidden away in a nice little cave, uh, you're not going to be able to try and uh, do jumping jacks through the pages of Scripture to somehow uh, find really good excuses for disobedience. I, I know sometimes when we, we are prompted to obey from God, we think, oh God, I'm not going to obey right now because I just don't have all the answers yet. I don't understand everything that's coming, so I'm going to hold off and I'm going to wait until I know a little more so that then I'll be obedient. I wonder what Abraham would look like in Genesis if, if God had said, Abraham, I want you, I'm going to make this covenant with you. I'm going to promise you this, uh, but I want you to pack up all of the stuff that you've gathered over your entire life and I just want you to go. Well, where are we going? Well, I can't tell you that yet. You see, sometimes I wonder if we make excuses based on our understanding. You see, God didn't always promise that we would have all the answers. He didn't promise that we'd have all the understanding. He simply asked us to be obedient. And so uh, in this case with Abraham, he says, okay, all right, uh, all I need to know is that you're the one asking. And so God, I'll, I'll obey some of us might say, well, God, but you don't understand. Uh, you know, I, 
I've had somebody hurt me. Somebody's hurt me deeply, and so I don't really want to obey in this particular circumstance because I would have to talk with them and probably be kind with them. You don't understand how much they've hurt me. And I'd really rather run away from that sort of obedience than, than to engage in it. And I wonder if, if the pages of Scripture don't open up and say, you know what, uh, I've asked you as part of being a Christian to cast off your old self and put, put a new self on. One that has the sort of compassion that I've shown you. The kind of grace that I've shown you, the sort of compassion and this reconcile that exists between me and you, between God and people, I'm asking you to, to use the cross as a bridge between you and other people to heal those kinds of relationships. Will you obey? I'm sure there are other excuses that we could probably come up with. God, I wasn't raised that way. I wasn't raised in that sort of home. And, But there are no really good excuses for disobedience. In fact, if we begin to live according to our excuses uh, for being disobedient, uh, what we do is we just open up a floodgate. We open up a door for cheap grace. Now, there's a guy, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Some of you recognize that name. He was a Lutheran pastor during the time of World War II. And, and he writes about this this dilemma of cheap grace. I want to read just a snippet of what he says. It's so powerful. He says, cheap grace is the deadly enemy of our church. We're fighting today for costly grace. Cheap grace means grace sold on the market. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolation of religion are thrown. And they're, they're thrown away at cut prices. Grace is represented as the church's inexhaustible treasury from which she showers blessings with generous hands without asking questions, without fixing limits. Grace without a price. Grace without cost. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requirement of repentance. No baptism. No church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus. Costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field for the sake of a man who will gladly go and sell all that he has. It's the pearl of great price of one who will buy, who will give everything in order to have it. He will sell all of his goods. Costly grace is the gospel which we must uh, be sought again and again the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must, must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to obey. And it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs a man his life. And it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin. And grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of His Son. And what has God cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Quite frankly, instead of lowering the bar, 
John is saying the bar is set quite high. Uh, John's going to say plainly that the height requirement for obedience is Jesus. Uh, will you look with me? Uh, look again at chapter 2, verse 6. And notice the height requirement of obedience. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did, as obedient. Time and again, uh, Jesus is found saying, you know, I was obedient to the Father. I obey my Father. I do what he wants me to do. I keep his commands. And the greatest part about God is uh, he could have stood in heaven and pointed his finger and given a bunch of orders. But instead, what God does is He sends His Son. He sends God in the flesh. Not so that He could just give commands, but so that He could give us an example of obedience. You see, He just didn't give commands. He gave an example of obedience. We're to live as Jesus lived. Now, some of you right now are absolutely terrified. You're scared to death of, of obedience. You're scared to death of what it might mean for you and maybe for your life and maybe for future decisions. Uh, you're anxious about the kinds of things that will happen if you actually begin to obey God. So can I encourage you? You have been given an example in Jesus to follow Him, like Him, to be obedient, not in, in, in just the big things, but all things. That you have an example to follow. And why? Why in the world should you obey? Why should you obey God? Why should you obey the example of Jesus? John's going to tell us simply, he's going to tell us plainly uh, in language that we just cannot miss. We obey because Jesus died for us. We obey because he's the only one who was truly obedient. Look at verse 1 in chapter 2. My dear children, I, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but, but if anyone does sin... We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Uh, you need to be obedient uh, to the one you claim to be with because He's the only one who can save you from your sins. He's the only one. You can't be saved any other way. All of the sins, all of your sins and mine, it comes only through Jesus. Only through Jesus. He's the only atoning sacrifice. He's the only one that can be a pure covering for all the things that you and I do wrong. Why should you obey? 
because Jesus is your Savior. So if you are a Christian here today, if you're claiming Jesus, but you find that there's more and more areas of your life that don't look like Jesus, if you find that there's areas of your life where you're, you're not obedient and you know that you're not obedient, then, then can, I, can I encourage you? Would you turn and repent? Would you repent? Would you turn back to God and say, you know, God, I, I haven't been going the greatest directions. I've been disobedient. I've been making excuses for my disobedience. I've claimed you, but I haven't lived like you. And so I'm going to begin to live like you because I know that's what you desire. I'm not going to live like someone who lives in darkness anymore. I'm going to live like someone who lives toward the light. I claim you, and I'm going to obey you. Would you repent? And there are some of you this morning that walked in and, and you're curious about Jesus. You want to know a little more about Jesus. You want this relationship with Jesus that many of those here do. And for you, can I prompt you toward obedience in God? Can I encourage you to believe in Him? Uh, not just not just believe like, yeah, I know he's there somewhere, but really trust in him. That you would trust and you would also say, you would repent. And I'm, I've been doing something. I've been disobedient to the things that I know, God, you would have me do. And I'm going to face a different way. I'm going to do something else. And then would you publicly proclaim that in, in the baptistry? And say, I... I recognize, God, what you are going to do with me. That something's going to change. That only you can change in me because only you can cover my sin. And so whether you're here as a Christian or whether you're someone who's curious about Jesus and, and you would say, I'm, I don't know that I'm a Christian yet. I'm challenging both of you. Obey. Because Jesus is your Savior. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for who you are and all that you do. And I pray, Father, in the depth of our being, that you will search us and that you will know us. And Lord, that your, your scripture will just lay us bare. And that we will not leave this place unhindered by our disobedience. Lord, if there is disobedience in us, would you prod us and would you poke us and would you not let us sleep? And would you give us discomfort until that time that we would turn and be obedient to you? Lord, help our lives validate who you are and who we claim to be in our obedience. We love you. And we thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' holy name, amen.